Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? <clears throat> good. Mm, it's good here, too. Been yeah, busy. I, I've been recording podcasts, so I'm a little bit winded. You are a podcast recorder. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's all uh-huh. happening. All happening right here. It's I uh, just Yeah. Yeah. I well, hear I hear from a lot of people about your podcasts. Yeah. I, I don't like using that word. Podcasts or well, people? Well, nobody's found a better one. Than you know, podcast. Yeah, it's so isn't it, does it sound ugly? It kind of sounds like poop. I tried to for a while coin I, you may recall when we first started doing this, I tried to separate it and make it into two words, podcast. Yeah. And uh, I got some angry letters from Germany. Oh, it, yeah, it's, so, is it a term of art there? Well, I don't know what it, I don't know what their problem was. No. I never know what their what the Germans' problem is. But they, <laughs> these guys were like, "No, nine, nine nicked." <laughs> I was like, house. Yeah, I guess I'm sorry. I didn't know what you know. It just it. I think if they. I think uh, maybe they didn't like the affectation, or I don't know what. I, you know, we kid, we kid about our listeners, but I just I want to stipulate to the people of, of Germany. There are. There's nobody who's more tolerant of the crap of the shisa that we give them than the Germans. <laughs> That's true. They're very I'll, resilient, John. You know, a funny, a funny thing is, did you know? You probably did know this, but did you know that Germans are far and away the disproportionately largest group of immigrants in America? I would not have guessed that, but that that does make sense. Yeah, it's like. Uh, uh, you, you take the take the numbers of all the people that have immigrated to the Americas over the years, or this America, the North America, and um, and the Germans are like overwhelmingly the the largest population. And they came over and they just stayed quiet. They kept moving. They got out of the way. Mm-hmm. They got some farmland out there in Minnetonka, mm-hmm. and uh, they started making uh, schnitzel and and. Um, <laughs> And then they integrated into the local population because they look just like English, Englisher. If you, if pressed, I they changed their name to Windsor. Windsor, <laughs> Johann York. <laughs> um, I would have guessed, if pressed, I would have guessed Irish, mm-hmm. which is probably right. an availability heuristic on my part. But you know, Irish used to be very discriminated against. Are you aware of this? Hmm. No, no blacks, dogs, or Irish. Is that a real sign? That was a real sign. No or black dogs are Irish. No service. Irish are at the are at the bottom of that list. Actually, I I seem to remember. Um, I think Eddie Van Halen had a Charvel with a picture of a leprechaun with a buster on it. Mm. <clears throat> remember his no fat chicks. Mm-hmm. Had a no fat chicks. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you used to be able to get away with that, but now that's very unpopular. Cut all this out. Uh, I uh, I'm uh, my last name is German. I, I come from uh, right. Ger- Germanish Mon from Germanish uh, stock. Also, I'll bet you, you know, the Germans come in, they work hard, they didn't yeah. they didn't cause cause a lot of trouble, and yeah. they weren't controversial in the way. I, I don't know anything about history, John, but I think they weren't controversial compared to a lot. Uh, as you say, they they blended in. Mm, they blended in. They, you know what I mean. Well, yeah, and they were, uh, you know, the Germans, I think, I think the Irish and the Italians both emigrated to America typically because their countries were having food crises and they were kind of coming over here because it was a last ditch effort or like they put their, they went down to the docks and they put their kids on the boat and they said, ciao, go find, uh, go find food in America. <laughs> you little, really, really you like, little literally shits. like self, self-preservation. Yeah, like like we we are not making it here. There are too many of us in Italy, and and there's a, a potato famine here, and we are gone. Whereas the Germans, I think, maybe moved 
immigrated to America with a little bit more resources mm-hmm. and maybe were able to like get on a wagon train and get out to Minnesota and North Dakota and claim their land. And they knew how to use guns so they could defend their land against the, I don't know. Against the Irish, against the, against the Irish who were, who were coming, <laughs> coming a little bit later. Get out of my cabbages. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange statistic. And, and you know, like the Germans are the silent ma- uh, majority. I um I really like that scene. You know, I like that Godfather's Godfather movies, the first couple. And yeah. uh, there's that great scene at the beginning of Godfather 2 when uh, Vito arrives at Ellis Island. And there's that long – I have no way to know if this is anywhere near real. But I love that long panning shot uh, where they're going across all the people waiting to be processed yeah. through Ellis Island. And I thought that was just so wonderfully done. It looks – it really looks like it's from whatever, you know, 1900 or whatever. But – it also just gives you a feel. Can you imagine how monkey balls it must have been in Manhattan at that time to be cheek to jowl with all those different people? When, when really, like a lot of folks from Europe, they're coming from a more homogenous background. It must have been so strange to be living like right next to people from a different continent that you could yeah. talk to. Totally crazy, particularly given that the Irish and Italians, and a, and a, and a, and, a, and a, frankly, a lot of the Germans and a lot of the people all shared a religion. I mean, they were all. Cat lickers. <laughs> I've never heard it pronounced like that. <laughs> did you did you coin that, John? My father grew up up here in Seattle on Capitol Hill, and there were um, there were cat lickers who went to cat lick school, and there were pup lickers who went to pup lick school. So you either lick to pup, it's like, or you a, lick it's to like cat. a white guy rhyming slang. Yeah, and then there were the Jews. And the Jews went, you know, the Jews kind of were like in the middle. And of course, uh, the, 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 uh, the Japanese bringing up the rear or actually, you know, heading the basketball team. So my dad's Seattle was, was fairly cosmopolitan, but also, you know, that the, the main groups were Japanese, Jewish, Italian, Italian, Irish, and then whatever Episcopalian or whatever the rest of the people were. Interesting little world. When I look at my mom's uh, high school yearbook, she graduated in 1954. First of all, everybody looks 50, mm-hmm. like 45 <laughs> to 50 years of age. Isn't that strange? I, 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 there's a kid in my, in my daughter's preschool. I won't name him because he's two. I bet it's Ian. <laughs> but he looks 50. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're one of these, you're one of these kids that I see in, in old photographs of uh, the Bowery. You're like a shoeshine boy. Oh, like uh, smoking a butt with a Donegal cap. Yeah, he's he, he is he is just a couple of like leather boots and and knee high pants away from being a street ruffian in the down in the Five Points. Huh. It is strange. I always think I think of I was going to say about my mom's yearbook is it is uh, it was an interesting mix for for 1956. It was an interesting mix of like there were a lot of Jewish people. Um, a lot of, as you say, like, you know, different kinds of, not so many black people, but, uh, but they were there. Uh, it was, it was more integrated, uh, in the aggregate than I would have expected. Yeah. I think that in, in Seattle in particular, like the, the, the great migration of African Americans came during the war. And before that, there was a vibrant, a small but vibrant community <laughs> the sec- of blacks. The second big uh, arrival. <laughs> a couple, 300 years earlier, we had some show up. But, but, but here in, C- I mean, in the Northwest. Oh, I of see. Course, Cut to, to do uh, manufacturing. 
Well, yeah, they they uh, they came from the south to work in the Boeing air, airplane factory. Mm-hmm. But before that, there was a there was a, a, a tight knit and and vibrant black community in Seattle, and they were they were such a minority that there was there was n- not really much racism against them. The threat to the threat that white people perceived were the Chinese out here. And so oh, because of their numbers. Yeah, right. I mean, the Chinese were were flooding the city and there were anti-Chinese riots here and there were like the the Chinese were the terrifying influx and the blacks had a had a were were like a middle-class community. There was a prominent guy who owned a waterfront hotel who built a large house at the top of Capitol Hill and his family all lived, you know, all kind of came up to join him and they they kind of built a neighborhood. So before the war uh, from all accounts, there was not a lot of prejudice against blacks here. It was all directed at the at the wrong kind of Asian. Mm-hmm. And then after the war, of course, then it was like all bets were off. There were there were still red line laws here in Seattle, meaning like black families couldn't live north of a certain street uh, all the way. They just to, like wouldn't get a mortgage. Oh yeah, they wouldn't get a. They wouldn't. Not only would they not get a mortgage, they would like. Yeah, you weren't. You you, you weren't. They, they weren't really even encouraged to walk around after dark, mm-hmm. north of a certain street, and that persisted here until the early seventies. Yeah, my mom. I I don't know why I remember this, but from the time when my mom was taking real estate classes, uh, she had to get a license in Ohio and then a license later in Florida. And in both cases, she had to take classes in and mm-hmm. how they called it at the time they called it steering. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard it called redlining too. <laughs> Back in the day, when they really did, when banks, you know where that comes from, banks would actually take a map and with a, a red, whatever they use for markers, uh, would, would draw red lines for where <laughs> if you were in this area, you didn't get a mortgage. Thanks yeah. for stopping. Like, they just hold up the map and, and talk loud because they didn't understand English. They'll <laughs> shake a map at them with red lines on it. Can you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine being treated like that? <laughs> well, my mom and dad bought a house in 60, let's say four, in the neighborhood. Within the the red line neighborhood, in a, in a in a neighborhood that was that had already that was that had already historically been, Chinese. Well, no, that was that 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 they were deciding already was going to be the ghetto. Oh, and the banks, and you know, my dad, of course, was my dad knew knew his banker as as you did at the time if you were if you were prominent uh, white guy. And his banker was like, Dave, come on. You can't buy down in that neighborhood. It's, you know, like basically saying we are conspiring to turn that neighborhood into a shithole. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Have you been not coming to the meetings? <laughs> and my dad. That's probably a shithole. <laughs> my dad was like, nah, no, we're going to. That's the house we want. And, the you know, and had to kind of twist his banker's arm to 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 agree, you know, to even I'm going to say this. Even my dad couldn't easily get a mortgage in that neighborhood because it was like a citywide plan. Oh, it was risky. It was like risky. Let's turn this neighborhood into a a a, a bog. You know, like <laughs> who says government doesn't work? <laughs> let's stop fixing up this neighborhood. I think we can all agree on redlining <laughs> the ghetto. Well, they called it steering with my mom's time because it really was. I, I don't think it. It could. I could almost really 
I think what they meant was don't gently put your hand on the black family's shoulders and like move them over to Clifton. You know what I mean? But I, I mean, really, like literally steering the wheel, like to take you to where houses would be. I, it wasn't legal. I mean, it wasn't a legal thing, but it was very much a cultural thing where if somebody wanted to go to Indian Hill or something, you, you go, no, 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 no. You don't want to go over there. <laughs> you want to go over here. That, that's You'll be more comfortable here. Yeah, it's like the scene in Animal House, like, Ahmed, I'd like you to meet Jugdish <laughs> and Muhammad. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm very surprised to learn from you in this conversation that there were any classes in Florida pertaining to real estate licensing. I think it was mostly, it was a nominal sort of, you know, just it's like a ritualistic a, thing. It was like a game of lawn darts, right? They're, they drew a circle, and if you could get a dart in the circle, you were... You were... <laughs> Yeah, they used. You were was, lieutenant governor. It was education by charts. <laughs> <laughs> I love charts. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I have I have just recently uh, found in the greater Seattle area, the in the Seattle uh, bedroom community of Burien, a place called Hans's Sausage and Delicatessen, owned by Hans and Marianne Stewin. I'm, I'm holding their business card. And uh, it is a it is a German deli. I went in there the other day. Was driving by, and I was like, "Hmm, that building looks like a, that uh, that building is like a big Edelweiss." You know, it looked like a it looked like the um, the Eagle's Nest, but it was in between two auto shops. Hmm. And I went in, and there are all these Germans in there, and they're all uh, you know talking their German talk. And I walk over to the deli counter, and there's 80 different versts. Oh, my God. And I said, well, what do you got going on here? What's, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the story? And the guy was like, we have to verst. And I said, you got a, you got a verst sampler? He was like, you want to sample a verst? And I got like two pounds of verst sampler, Whoa. where he just went along. and Did, did, cut- they, make, did they make it there? Oh yeah! Wow! And he went along and he cut, cut you know, three slices of every verst they had. He came to the he came to the tongue verst, and he held it up and he was like, "You want the tongue?" Some people don't want the tongue. <clears throat> and I stood there and I said, "I'm going to be in the I'm going to be in the don't want the tongue camp." And he was he nodded and was like, "Hmm." Mm-hmm. So he left the tongue out, but every other kind of worst, and I've been working through it here every day. Like, is it is all marked so you know which is which worst is worst? <clears throat> no, it um, it wasn't. It's like guess guess the worst is the game. So I, I'll pull three slices out, and I'm like, whoa, you know, you smell it, and it's like, what is this? This is crazy. So I highly recommend that you find the German deli in your neighborhood and go in and get the versed sampler because it is a it's truly a journey in meat have you been uh happy with the with the results so far <clears throat> i have been happy i mean you know anytime i see a any anytime i see a pimento loaf mm. or a or a bologna that has pistachios in it i'm a little wary but this stuff is you know it's all it's all either made there or he's got some connection back in heidelberg first of all that sounds fantastic but uh this is so awful the first thing that comes to my head is i can't believe it hasn't been co-opted by hipsters 
It seems like no. exactly the kind of place where hipsters would sweep in and ruin it. Well, this is what's this is what why it's in Burien. It's oh. it's perfectly outside of like the orbit of of hipsters. They're, they have they they haven't found it. You know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. and it's legitimately like you walk in there. There's a there's a shelf with twenty four kinds of mustard. And I, I asked the little housefrau to come over and talk to me about the mustard. And she walked over and she was like, you know, she kind of tapped on one that was mustard that had been packaged in a little beer sign. And she's like, that's the hot stuff. And I was like, sold. And then she, you know, hit another one and she was like, that stuff's really good too. And I grabbed that. And I was, you know, loading up on mustard while I was there. Pretty hot. Oh, I, th- I think it's fantastic. I, oh. I, I love, I love finding stuff like that. And here, here's the funny thing, though, when you're talking about like tongue, like you know, I might have gone for the tongue because mm-hmm. I like uh, what is it, uh, the lengua or whatever they call it on yeah. um, in your tacos. tacos. That's good. Yeah, it's, I, it's real good. I, but you know, when I see something like the thing is, a lot of stuff's been like really bastardized and dumbed down. Inst- when we think of stuff like bologna, I yeah. mean. It's still going to be, you know, whatever snouts and, and butts or whatever. Right. But but you know, you can get a pretty good version that he- I draw the line at head cheese. Yeah, I, I can't even look at head cheese. It I just it looks get... like it's mocking you. It's mocking you with how much weird shit is in it. If you if you order a hot dog, you're probably eating plenty of tongue. Um, but this was this was rough chopped and formed into a sausage that was. Oh. Six inches across, yeah. so it looked like ground bark. I would if say that for the second visit. Tongues. I think you did the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm easing into it. I mean, I you know I like a little bit of. I, I I'll eat liverwurst all day, but the but the uh, but like the rough chopped. I mean, rough chopped to the extent that there were plenty of taste buds visible oh. in your in your giant log of. Of like tongues uh-huh. that had been that had been cut out of these beasts, yeah, and put put into what I can only guess was like a lawnmower, Ugh. and then fed into a sewer pipe, <laughs> and then served on a manhole cover. Uh-huh. There might be some canary traps in there. You never know. There might be some joke foods in there that that you can tell. You know, somebody's a poser if if they. Uh... If they order the wrong thing, you know. Yeah, this seemed this seemed like pro level. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna keep going back to this place. I'm gonna go back until until my whole house is decorated in like Baron Munchen flags. <laughs> Baron Munich. <laughs> I, I yelled. You mean like an old timey an old timey uh, butcher shop where you got the the sausages hanging from the ceiling? Well, oh, 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 that that was the that was the, the the best part. As I'm walking out, I turn around and I go back to the butcher counter. I've got this big bag of meat, and I'm like, uh, and I look at the guy, and he was very friendly. And I said, "Did I miss anything? What am I missing?" Like giving him the kind of squinty eyed, like, "You tell me what I'm missing." And he nods, turns around, and goes and grabs a big string of Jaeger. Off the wall, which are those little dried, uh, like jerky sausages, and you know they're and they're tied together in a string of sausages. But you know they're like they're like uh, German. It's like a pepperoni kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's already, like, it's like, it can, you can keep it at room temperature. It's dried, mm. and yeah, you, you pull it out of your pocket, and you, you bite off a hunk and, and put it back in your pocket. That's I mean, right I, in your wheelhouse, John. I have, I, well, the thing is, I've seen these lawn Jaegers uh, in my travels in Germany. Like, if you get out into the country, everybody's got one in his shirt pocket. They're just, they're just like, they keep them around because who doesn't want a bite of delicious German pepperoni? Throughout oh, the day. it looks it looks kind of like a uh, an upscale Slim Jim. Exactly, and so this and he and I say, am I missing anything? He turns around and is like Landjäger, and he brings me like a string of them, and and I and I I purchased like a a fairly long string, but when I got home and started like just carrying one around and kind of chewing on it, I realized that I had under ordered by a thousand percent. And <laughs> next time that I go, I'm going to get. I'm gonna that my whole house. It's my Christmas tree is gonna be decorated with strings of Landjäger <laughs> because it's the ult, It's 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 totally. It's the perfect. It's the perfect meat food. It looks. It's almost like it would be almost like smoking. Like or you could like get a yeah. like a like a three cigar holder and like just yeah. Kind it's of the take it's the size and shape of a cheroot. Mm. Yeah. Oh my god, this is making me hungry. This looks really good. I just I just had a. Uh, speaking of the other end of the spectrum, I just had a uh, I had a dirty south. I was in a hurry. So I went and got a Dirty South. I told you about the Dirty South, right? Tell me again about the Dirty okay, South. Okay, it's a hot dog with yeah. chili yeah. and coleslaw and barbecue sauce. Whoa! <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Yeek! And I had to eat it kind of fast, so... Yeah, I know. I know. There's no way to... There, you don't want to savor one of those. You want to just... You want to put it in you. Yeah, and, but it, but it just it kind of it's real wide because it kind of spreads out the bun. It's 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 definitely like a like a eat with a fork thing. But now I kind of hate myself. Spreads out the bun. Mm-hmm. I ha- I went to a, a cocktail party last night for a it was a political fundraiser because as as I've described, I'm trying to get more and more involved in local politics, and the more involved I get, the more that I realize even Seattle and and Washington state politics are a completely gnarly realm of like blood oath and <laughs> vendetta like half the people i met at this cocktail party last night were in the olive oil business oh it's, it's it is it's just and and you make allegiances and and alliances with people and then later on you regret them and this is d- down down at the at the uh, left end of the spectrum. You still get a lot of olive oil uh, well, industry. That's the thing. It's all it's all left up here, or I mean, in the it, certainly in the circles I travel in, it's just like progressives against progressives. But my God, they go for the jugular. And so I'm at anyway. I'm at this party last night, and there's a there's like a buffet. I walk over and I can't eat any of the the starchy stuff. But there are these like delicious, like look, look like cream cheese filled green peppers, and so I gobble a handful of them, and like two peppers in, I realize they are cream cheese filled jalapenos <gasps> that have not been completely divested of their jalapeno seeds, <laughs> and so I I plow through. Uh, you know, a baker's dozen of these things before I realized that they are, that they are spice grenades. I can't believe they're serving these at an event full of normal people. Like I, and this, uh, this is the kind of hot where you could take a bite and go, Ooh, that's spicy, but then it may not really hit you for a little while. And then it's like, anyway, so t- 
talk about may not hit you for a while. It's really hitting me today. Oh no! Do you need to go? No, no, no. Uh, I've I've mostly uh, I've mostly covered all those bases, but you know. But I'm sitting here. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here like a, um, like I am sitting on a porcupine. Oh. <laughs> which is which is good. It's uh, it's part of it's part of growing old. It's yeah, part of, it's very centering. You know, it's really keeping me in the moment. It's keeping me focused on the now. It's easy to overlook when, when you're just merely getting older. It's easy to overlook how quickly everything escalates. Yeah. The, the, it isn't really just a thing of like suddenly there's this thing that's a little different. It's you don't even have time to keep up with how many things are changing. Yeah. I can't see. I can't eat. I can't drink coffee after nine in the morning. I can't climb stairs. It's I, you know I feel like I feel like walking out on an iceberg or an ice flow and just like setting sail, but then I realize no I've got forty more years of this. This is this <laughs> is just like, if you're lucky you will have another forty <laughs> years of decline might, or more. You know you might just want to sit on the iceberg for a while today. <laughs> <clears throat> I since I have since I have stopped eating sugar and pasta and rice, I have experienced a, a total transformation. And I am really enjoying it. I'm enjoying every aspect of it. But there's this nagging feeling that I have become one of those middle-aged men who is about to say, I've never been in such good shape in my life. (laughs) I've never felt so young. And, you know, like, and I don't, I do not want to, I do not want to go into my middle age with a kayak on my roof rack. You know what I mean? I, like, I see you in some Patagonia zipped all the way up. I, so this morning I woke up and I was inspired to put on some wide whale corduroys. That's okay. That that that's that's within your uh well, yeah, but I have sartorial been, wheelhouse. Like I've been wearing I've been wearing thin whale cords for the last twenty years, and to transition to wide whale cords, it just feels like I, I I I don't know. I'm starting to feel like a sitcom father. <laughs> I'm I'm starting to feel like um like I should be in a like I should be the the father in a sitcom where a a a UFO alien is trying to pass as a normal high school kid and he's living with a he's living with a family and he's he looks like he's a he's a handsome kid and he's got a good couple of good catchphrases. But the, he gets into a lot of trouble because he's a UFO. So you're like you're like a character actor from some late seventies, early eighties, like comedies, yeah. and you've got your first or second gig on like an ABC show. Yeah, exactly. This is like this is like it's like Third Rock, mm-hmm. or uh, what was or Alf, or uh, what was the one where the the uh, Bigfoot lived with them? Is that Harry and the Hendersons? Harry and the Hendersons. Well, that was a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, but you would, would you be kind of John Lithgow esque? Do you think? You know, I, I am. I have for twenty five years. I've been kind of afraid of ending up like John Lithgow in uh, the world according to Garp. Really? Yeah. That's hmm. this creeping. This creeping. I'm, I'm hesitant to uh, pull this thread. Is that the one where he becomes a lady? <laughs> I just, I remember watching that movie and feeling like of all the 
of all the actors in this movie, the one that resembles me physically the most is John Lithgow. And I don't like, I don't like to, I, I don't want to end up being John Lithgow. I do not want to be Michael Caine in Hannah and her sisters. Oh, you're going to, you don't want to become like the neutered old guy. The, the older guy with the weird haircut. Mm-hmm. Who looks a little bit like a, like a lesbian. Whose glasses are too big. But you know what I mean? You lose that. You lose any kind of... You know, there's that look guys get in their 50s where they start looking a little bit shiny and kind of like a lady. I don't want to... Yeah, You know, uh, the last time I saw the psychedelic furs, oh. I was like, he looks like someone's <laughs> grandmother. He used to be so scary and cool, and now he really looks like a grandma. <laughs> no, I bet that's really not... Richard Butler? Richard. I bet that's really not what he was shooting for. No, I don't think any. I don't think any uh, any straight man, and probably not even uh, any gay men, are trying to look like grandmothers. Yeah. Um. And so, but but also, but I but I'm terrified that as I try and take better care of myself, like already in the last several weeks, the n- the number of conversations I've had about my food and my health have skyrocketed. It's fifty percent <laughs> of what I talk about to to people now, even as I stand there. Saying I am, I apologize that I am talking about my health and my food right now, and people are like, "No, no, no!" I'm very interested, and I'm like, "You can't be interested." I have overheard a million of these conversations. I'm embarrassed for myself, but I really have nothing else to say. I have nothing. I have no other interests right now except in like my food intake and my and the energy that that it, that my body is turning that food into. And oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for myself. I used to talk about so many things. The world domination, striking fear into the hearts of villagers. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, quinoa. Hmm. <laughs> quinoa. Maybe really this is your, maybe you're having a latent period. Maybe you're just taking a little bit of time off from uh, affairs of the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. It is. It is super boring to hear. It's, I, I hear myself talking about. You know, the other day I realized. You know, I was. I always wear the same thing, and yeah. I went to pick up my daughter at school, and I it kind of went through my head uh, that I probably should have worn something else. But <laughs> I showed up at school, and <laughs> I looked like I looked so silly. I was wearing. Did, same thing you look like a five-year-old boy. <laughs> I look like a five-year-old boy who was fifty. <laughs> <laughs> really give that a minute so that's, I'm wearing, the, that's the russell simmons act right he dresses he dress like, like a little, lady, bit. A little bit <laughs> no but i had I, I really need a haircut uh i hadn't shaved in a couple days uh since then i've cleaned some of this stuff up but i uh, i still need a haircut but i, I showed up I, my hair was t- i think I, i'd taken a nap and uh, i woke up and i had to scurry and i and i pulled on a pair of uh 3430s that had really had the full effect they had blown out knees, blown out right pocket to where my plaid underwear was sticking out. And for some reason, I guess I wiped my left hand, right, right hand, I wiped my right hand on my leg a lot because that's a, that's a pattern now. There's like a, a roan kind of patch of, of, of former hand dander on my pants. <laughs> and I think I had the presence of mind. I didn't put on the purple high top tennis shoes. I think I put on, oh, you remember the dad shoes I got? Remember those keen walking shoes everybody made fun oh of? Oh my God. I was wearing the dad shoes with blown out blue jeans, plaid underwear, and what I'm wearing right now, Fantastic Four shirt number one, the old one. Oh. And I show up there with a backpack and... Yes. Uh, and a rattle. 
<laughs> hey, look at it. I got a handheld video game. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? You're, you're almost 47. Like that's like, and you know, I don't know. I don't like to overthink this stuff. And so the next day when I went to pick her up, I wore khaki pants and I wore khaki pants and I wore, I think I wore, um, uh, uh, what are those called? The, uh, the desert shoes. That you wear. Oh, Chuckas. Yeah. Uh, uh, Donald Clarks. I have a pair, pair of those dark, dark brown Clarks. And I was like, yeah, what do you think, huh? And she was like, yeah, it doesn't look like you. <laughs> it was like appearance in court clothes. <laughs> well, I'm finding, like, I, I went to Bumbershoot and I was wearing my white linen, uh, like my, my coolest white linen pants to this event because I was. I was going to be interviewed on stage a couple of times and I, you know, and I, and it was a very hot day and I wanted to like represent some white linen, uh, on the fairgrounds. Cause everybody in Seattle is going to be wearing the exact same, you know, the exact same outfit of Levi's five thirty five jeans or whatever the hell. And, uh, so they take some pictures of me and they post it on the Brooklyn vegan website. And the first comment like Brooklyn vegan always treats me really well. They're a great, website of indie rock fans but they have the shittiest new york new york based commenters and the first comment is nice dockers dude (laughs) thanks for taking the time and i'm like i'm like at the at the time what i what i (laughs) dockers linen dockers my takeaway was that it no longer matters what i wear to a to a twenty six year old, it, they look like Dockers. Like a twenty six year old from now until eternity is going to be able to slay me by just saying "nice Dockers, dude." Yeah, and you arguing back is going to be like, "No, that wasn't on NBC. It was on the Dumont <laughs> Network." And they're going to exactly. be like, "Nice distinction, dude." There's there's no arguing. There's no saying like, "Get a life." Like <laughs> you made n- fun of my pants. <laughs> nice Dockers, dude is end is the end of the story. It was the first comment. And at, and as much as, as much as I want to, while that guy is sleeping, like find out where he lives, show up at his like miserable studio apartment in Williamsburg that he's sharing with four people, kick down the door in the middle of the night, tell his three screaming roommates to shut up and sit in the corner while I flamethrow him <laughs> with, <laughs> with a World War II era flamethrower. And as he's sitting there, you know, screaming and burning, just be like, nice dockers, dude. <laughs> As much as I want to do that, of course, like that's yeah. that is a that is a waste of my that is a waste of my resources. You save your miles, <laughs> but but I am you know I do not want to I do not want to go the rest of my life and be wearing you know and increasingly be trying to wear like purple nylon parachute pants just to avoid the nice Dockers dude comment and then still be completely vulnerable to it. Like I could be wearing I could be wearing Harlequin pants. Pagliacci pants <laughs> and some you know 27 year old could be like hmm, nice dockers dude and it's just the it's over because that is the like that is shorthand for you you are too old to be here it is well, you are too old to be on brooklyn vegan we're, we're both facing something that we only ever saw before from a remove which is when men and women reach an age where they became they become non-combatants in the game of youth Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think I, I think one reason that middle-aged guys, especially libidinous middle-aged guys, get so fucking weird is it suddenly dawns on them that young girls are not thinking about them. 
mm-hmm. like not even like thinking about, not looking at not anything. And then if they do, it's, it's not, you're, believe me, they're not thinking about that. They're not, they're not, they're not, you know, and, and, and unless it is some kind of like, like one of those freaky gold digger type situations where it's a creepy old guy and a, you know, a gal who wants a place to live or something like, like cool girls are not looking at us. It's, and I think for a lot of guys that is extremely hard to accept. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying that's true with you here, but we really are. We're, we have fallen off the radar screen. And what worries me you talk about the, the purple Pagliacci uh, parachute pants. I, uh, I I, uh, I think about when I was young, and I would see. Well, you can see this in movies. You go and watch, you know, actors and especially actresses who who were once considered very beautiful, and maybe that was their primary thing, where they've obviously lost track of what they actually look like now. Yeah, yeah. And and they there's something's how you know your vision changes over time. You actually see things more sepia as you get older <laughs> because of <laughs> the cataract. Like how, what happens to your eyes? You think see things more brightly when you're young. It's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so they, their lipstick starts looking more orange, and everything's clashy. And they're they're they got those veiny feet sticking out of their fancy shoes. Oh, veiny feet. Well, you know what I'm talking about, though. And you're yeah, like, I do. That good for you, a for effort. But you know, it's okay if you wear something more age appropriate. And that's I, I started to think more about age appropriate. Not that I'm doing anything about it, but well, that's 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 what the, that's what's going on with these wide well corduroys. See, I refuse I refuse to allow because there is a there's a there is a strange component uh, in women. Yeah. Where, yeah, I hear yes, that. Yes, there is, <laughs> and uh, and it is that uh, that older men are inexplicably attracted to attractive to younger women because they have some set of some set of qualities, some ineffable set of like father like uh, talents that young women uh, admire. So I do not allow that they are not continuing to look at me but they are <laughs> but they are but they are okay. looking at me they are looking at me in a different way mm-hmm. and and honestly when i was 24 they looked at me only with contempt and derision so the, in some ways this is my this has I, always always been a complicated matter for you yeah now i'm finally i am finally blooming into the sort of uh, pe- pedagogical sex father <laughs> role that i have that i have uh, <laughs> Trained You've been so training long. a whole life for this. My my early twenties, you know, they were just they were like they did. They I was I was forever alone. And um but but my own vanity is so much I mean it was always complicated, but it's it's so much more complicated now that I am that I'm conscious of this is the thing. I there I think there are a lot of older guys that are like, well, you know, uh, I am sexually attractive to younger women, and I'm going to exploit that fact and be be um, creepy or be not creepy, but be um, be predatory. And I still want you know. This is the amazing thing about getting older. You do not feel. You still feel. You still feel young. And I mean, I remember my dad saying, "I, that I feel to entitled me. to be young." Yeah, well, when my dad was 87, he was like, the terrible thing about it is that you get old and you still feel young. And I was like, oh, that's really pathetic. (laughs) Be old. And he was like, fuck you. (laughs) But now I'm I'm standing in the 
in the doorway of it. And I'm like, oh, right. Like, I do not want to be predatory. I want to be appreciated. And I want to also be age appropriate. And I, and I want those, if, if I'm going to have, if I'm going to have pedagogical relationships, I want them to be appropriate. I want them to be, I want everybody to agree. Like, yes, I am sexually appealing. I am a middle-aged man who knows some things. A lot, John, I don't know why, but a lot of women are attracted to you. It's very, yes. it's very strange. I've seen it. I've seen it's people wonderful. talk about it. It's fantastic. Some people like others. Uh, there's one lady I follow on Tumblr who likes your beard. Yeah, see? She's a beardy. It's, it's so soft. And the, and the thing was that, you know, I have described myself as a young person being more or less like an uncooked scallop that was left in the sun. Um, and uh, those were hard times. Those were, those were dues-paying times because inside I knew that I was a, that I was, I was a swashbuckler. And that all of these like young, dark, uh, intense guys were, you know, were just empty shells or whatever. They were, you know, they were peanuts in the mixed nut can of life. And I was a filbert or better. But, uh, but I, but, but now I'm, you know, I'm confronting all because, because socially there are all these kind of, a, a middle-aged guy who is who is appealing to younger women is also appealing to older women, and everybody's mad. Everybody's mad at me already uh, for other reasons, but then the, you, you add this component in, and everybody gets extra mad. Like other guys are mad. Everybody's mad all the time Be- because of your uh, pedagogy. Be- yeah, because the pedagogy uh, that you exude. Because the silver fox. <laughs> Is a is a caricature, and a lot of a lot of guys that uh, that grow into their looks and grow into their their appeal are uh, are not very interesting. Ultimately, or you know what I mean, like they are they're kind of they're it's a it is an exploitative. Well, they get. I think a lot of guys. I I don't know. I, I can't follow all this. I, I think a lot of guys just get a different kind of shtick. And, yeah. you know, maybe you become like, I, that's, it just, almost everything that deviates from the norm starts to read as creepy, right. you know, like, you know, ugh, thumb rings, you know? Oh, come on. Oh, uh, know, why do people do that? Why did you even say that? So I know, now I, I know, I know. Now I'm, oh, now I'm sitting on a porcupine again, but for different reasons. Thumb ring and a foot tattoo. But, you know, but this is the thing. This is my challenge. Like, I want to enjoy being appreciated. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I you don't You want feel, to enjoy being appreciated. I want to enjoy being appreciated. And I don't want to It works for everyone. It just like it's right, says it right on there. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to say like, because, because I spend a lot of time saying, oh, miss... I I don't think you I don't think you're really in love with me. I think that you have unresolved, you know. And she's like, uh huh, and w- walks across the room and goes home with the guy th- with a motorcycle. While I'm sitting there trying to explain to her like what her what her real what her real problem is. And now I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. I I, I accept I accept your I accept your gaze. That's that's really good of you. You've really grown. You're yeah. not a scallop but I, anymore. But then, I, but then I look across the room and there's like a 37 year old woman staring at me with a kind of like uh huh, uh huh. Oh, like look she's got your number. Face. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, what? What? I'm just, I'm just talking to my friend. Mm-hmm. 
She's like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then the other guys are giving me the same. And it's just like, I listen, I'm I this these silver fox uh medals are were hard won. Hmm. I, I gosh, I, you know, I, I had no idea that you were dealing with this much. Yeah, it's a lot of. I, You've been a real gentleman about not bringing it up. This, this, you <laughs> got to carry this around with you all the time. You go to the store, you go to the sausage factory, where, wherever you go, you're encountering people who are seeing the pedagogical silver fox. Yeah, and, but you want to be able to enjoy them enjoying it. Well, and this is the thing: a lot of people want to learn, mm-hmm. right? And I want to teach, and it's like. It's like I'm a, um, it's like I'm a free radical and I'm going around and I'm, I'm connecting, uh, with people's, um, neurons and and, uh, uh, there's an open space and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm clicking, I'm clicking in. I'm just imagining you explaining this to someone in a very loud bar. You're a a free what? Free radical. Radical. You should teach seminars. Think about how many guys a little bit of money could learn from you. I know. You show up in your, in your white convertible. But, but I don't feel like it is transferable knowledge. Like, I feel like some of this... Oh, is, it's, got, it's got to be... You got to put the hours in, right? We got to put the hours in, and you also have to have that, uh, that ineffable... Like, like uh, some people grow out of, out of their looks, like you were describing... People who are famous for being beautiful when they're young and then they forget what they look like and they turn into these uh, like handbags as they get older. They turn into lawn Jaegers. Uh, and then there are people like me who grow into their looks as they get older and go from looking like an uncooked scallop to looking uh, like a like a, a mighty fur. Standing on the top of a. Are you as you sit here today? Have you been aware how much thought you've put into this? I'm, I'm, I'm mostly putting the thought into it right now. Well, it's coming out great. (laughs) You don't want to look. You you want to grow into your into your sausage and out of your scallop. That's right. Yeah, you you grow out of you grow out of your scallop, and you become interesting. You know, and, and and to whatever degree. And this is the problem with uh, this is this is one of the the stereotypical gender problems, which is that older, fascinating women who have grown into their looks are not uh, like widely attractive to young, callow men. But there is a there is a certain component or a certain kind of aspect to sex roles where like fascinating older men are attractive to young women because I mean, young women are kind of more interesting than young well, men. Well, in this world, who wants to learn more than young women? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and who like has their... more to teach than old men? <laughs> it's true. You see those young receptacles just waiting to be filled yeah. with it's informa- ter- information. It's terrible, but I am in it. You know, like this is the subject of so many angry, uh, uh, editorials in Ms. Magazine. Oh it's the subject of a lot of late 20th century novels. Uh, it is, I mean, it's a trope. It is a, it is a, it's something that people are mad at films about. Why it is, why George Clooney is 69 years old. Why is his leading lady always 26? Well, that can be real creepy. 
Like, it's terrible. Harrison, it's, Harrison it's, Ford and uh, uh, Sean Connery is ninety. Yeah, and uh, and they pair him with uh, with whatever that Welsh lady who's living with um, what's his name, Michael Douglas. Thank you. Yeah, but I mean that's a that's their actual relationship. I mean they they are in a relationship together, and there's an age. With, I think you must it's, see more of those than I do. I don't know. I I, I yeah. More, I more of the angry editorials or more of the films? Uh, yeah, I guess. More of the relationships. <laughs> Just want to avoid the whole thing. <laughs> but see, this is why we haven't talked about it because I know that it makes you uncomfortable. No, no, it's <clears throat> I'm learning a lot. I don't. I hadn't thought of myself as a silver fox. Yes. Um. Well, because you are happily married, and so when you get the approving looks, I'm sure you deflect them, or you unconsciously deflect There's like five things wrong with that. I don't get those. Really? I I know. I think I'm much more attractive to to men in their late 20s. Oh, right. Okay. No, no, no. Not not that way. No, no. I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. I I meet those men. I'm like like the Marilyn Monroe of nerds in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they all, yeah. Which is fine. I mean, that's, that's great. That's really, that's, that, that's awesome. I mean, boy, I'm, I couldn't ask for more. I, uh, yeah, I just can't take uh, that much libido in my life. I, 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 I'm so grateful. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. (sighs) I don't know how you do it. It's just always there, right? It's always, it's something where like, like going to the bathroom, like you're always going to have to go again. And the the libido just builds right back up like a, like a, like a great, uh, roiling cyst. Yeah. Well, part of it is that I, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I walk around like mid-period John Wayne. You know, I kind of like hold my arms out a little bit in, in case you I run need, into a wall. <laughs> or in case I need to draw my my uh Oh, I was thinking more like I was thinking more like he's really, really drunk in a dim room. <laughs> There's a little bit of that. At this cocktail party last night, I, I, I went all the way to the end. And I'm with a I'm with this crowd of like you know, like local Liberal, activist, engaged, rich, mafioso, mafiosi, and everybody is shit-faced. And they're not just shit-faced on liquor. Mm. They're like shit-faced on pills and liquor. And we're sitting around a (laughs) table. It sounds like a Jacqueline Suzanne book. It's fucking terrible. We're sitting around a table in there and it's and it's all really really expensive liquor too. All these these bottles that have like handmade labels wow. where it's like oh this is one of one of a hundred bottles of this um this cask and when it's quick, gone quick it's gone. Did you say it was a fundraiser? Or yeah, was it this a, is like a strategic meeting. It was more like having fun hanging out and make a little money for the cause. Well, it's a fundraiser, but it's very early in the game, and so it, it was a strategic meeting. At this, uh, uh, the the uh, the candidate who who was at this party went around and pointed out all the other elected officials that were in the room, and it was probably seventy seventy percent of the seventy people there were elected officials in Washington State, including wow. like high like high mucky mucks like prosecutors and big big wheels Hmm. and then there were you know 20 of us who were local uh people local local normals or local um taste and um and money developer people (laughs) and so the candidates all bail or the the 
you know, the, the politicians have to get out of there. Yeah, they made their appearance. And then the rest of us are sitting around and it's like, oh, you're the guy that runs that? Oh, you're the guy that runs that? We're sitting around and everybody's fucked up. And little by little, they, they peel off until there's just this this group around the table. And it is, at this point, like a planning session, except everybody's so fucking loaded. And I'm sitting there at the table. I'm the only one that's sober. But if you if you panned the camera back, my body language is, I, and I became conscious of this, like uh, I kind of zoomed out and I was like, you look like the most fucked up of all of them. Like I was slouching in my chair, leaning on the leaning on the table and half on my hand with one foot up on a potted plant, my eyes half closed, slurring my words almost in a in partly in a in like sympathetic imitation of everybody else. Oh yeah, a contact speech impediment. Right, but also I'm 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 most comfortable in that it, it, like where the inhibitions, where everybody's inhibitions are so far in the rearview mirror that we're, that we are seconds away from just tumbling into bed with each other. You know, I'm lying. I'm kind of lying on this table. Like, listen, here's what you fuckers need to understand about Metro and how it interacts with the sewer system. And I'm like, why am I, why am I, what is that? Why, I sound like John Wayne at that commencement, the 1968 com- commencement. Who is against Vietnam? I don't understand it. How could you be against America? I'm not saying this for clapping. <laughs> and, I, and, and I realize like this is, this is what you get to that point. And that's, ki- that's kind of who I really am. The rest of the time, my, 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 uh, my clearer speech and my clearer main, it's all just a, it's, it's all just drag. It's like straight world drag. Really? What I would really rather be doing is have one hand down the front of my pants (laughs) and be yelling at somebody about, about the school district. (laughs) That's, that's when you're in your element. Yeah. Yelling, yelling at, uh, yelling at some state legislator about, uh, about earmarks. With my pants off. That, that's where I belong. I, I, I can never tell. I thought, but sometimes don't you get a little weary of being around too intoxicated people? Doesn't that kind well, of get, get on your nerves after a while? I, it, I get that feeling. 99% of the time it does because 99% of the time people get shit faced and all they have to talk about is their record collections, you know? Um, but this group. As, as opposed to millage? <laughs> this group of guys it, they are you know they're talking about millions of dollars and and w- realms of influence and the more fucked up they get that they, they just want to talk more and more about the world that they live in which is this world of like the guys from Bellagio want to come up and make an investment in this bridge project. And it's like, wait a minute, what did you just say? The guys mm. from Bellagio? Why do they want to make an investment in this bridge project? Oh, because the, you know, the, there's a lot of money in these, 
um, big construction projects. And I'm like, oh, right, of course there is. <laughs> so the more drunk these guys get and fucked up they, they get, like, the more interesting the conversation gets in a way because their guard drops and then you're talking about some, like, crazy crazy shit that you know it's never going to make it into the newspaper unless it's the topic of a federal indictment so setting aside the chili peppers um when you get home from an event like that do you feel like it was a a night well spent i can't tell because this is this is what i've been experiencing the last year of getting more and more involved in local politics is that i feel at a certain point out of my depth and I'm not used to feeling out of my depth. And growing up in a, with politicians all around, I, I got used to, I got used to interacting at, at a surface level with this kind of business and feeling, and, and I guess made the mistake of feeling like if you can talk the talk and if you are chummy, with everybody, then all these deals just kind of get made and everybody wins. And even looking at my dad's life and, and my uncle's life and the people that I know who felt like they had been misdealt time and time again, you know, my dad always complained about not being ruthless enough. It it was his, it was his main, it was, it wasn't a thing. He didn't want to be more ruthless. He just, he just was continually surprised that at the moment when the deal was done and everybody was shaking hands, there was always somebody there with a, with a knife in the gut. And in the end, the thing gets taken away or the percentage gets reduced or the, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm glad we signed this. But right before I sign, I just want to, I just wanted to insert one really minor little thing that is going to change the nature of this deal and take everybody for a ride you know like Mm -hmm. that aspect of it my dad rude it and so here i am now like dipping my toes in the water in my mid-40s after years of working in a scummy business the music business but also feeling like time and time again not that i got not that i was rooked but that my nature is such that when somebody says all right great there it is there's the deal i I relax too soon. I go, great. All right. We've got a deal. Shake on it. And then you, then I'm not watching out when two weeks later an invoice comes for all this, you know, like, oh, well, there was setup charges and then we had to pay the... the oh, this is like, like your burglar alarm. Exactly. And in, in, as I get deep, as I get dip into local politics, I realize that what, what has seemed to me in 30 years of reading the daily newspaper as like, well, that's a simple matter. You just get the guys from the waterfront down there and you get the guys from the shipping companies and you, you put them all in a room and you strike a deal. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, except the guys from Bellagio have an interest in the project. And all of a sudden there's a guy from the army Corps of engineers here. And what the hell is he doing here? And nobody's, Nobody's acknowledging him, mm. but, uh, but like, uh, the chairman looks over at him and he imperceptibly nods and then the chairman 
calls a recess. You know, like all this type of stuff where you're like, well, now wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we were all, I thought we had a deal. And so I feel out of my depth. And people now are starting to say things to me like, um, there's something in this for you if you back this project. What? And I don't, yeah, and I don't know to what degree this is the thing. When I look at my own voice and my own influence in Seattle, I have a pretty clear eyed understanding that I have no influence in Seattle beyond like, or at least my own perception of it is like, oh, yeah, that guy. He's this, yeah, people have heard his name or whatever. But people on the other side of this this um, door are starting to appeal to my vanity and say, listen, if you come out in public and endorse this candidate or this idea, then there will be a seat at the table for you when we start to talk about it. Or, you know, if if this candidate gets elected and you are at the table, then there will be, there's a, there's opportunity for you to have your, to have input. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to get patronage. Right. Is or, that what they call it? Yeah. Well, uh, I will see, I'm not seeking that kind of patronage. Like I don't want a government job, but I will, but you know, they, but I have been identified by people now as somebody who is seeking influence or somebody who is, who wields a certain amount of influence and, and, and everybody that plays this game at a high level knows that people that want to wield influence don't ever get enough. You know, like these, the really great politicians could be making a fortune if they, if any one of them just went and got a, uh, got a job at a at a major law firm, you know what I mean? Like the the big the, all the big government guys here in Washington State, they could go down to Bogle and Gates and be making three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, walking in the door. And instead, they're they're working for a hundred and ten thousand dollars a year as a as a government guy, because when they walk in the room, they're a rock star everywhere they go, mm-hmm. and that is the pay. You know, they are powerful people. And when, when you get identified as somebody, and, 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 I, and I, unfortunately, I am one of these people who would sacrifice money in order to have influence. And it's really what I have done my whole life. My, I, I, want the, I want the power and I want the recognition. And the guys, the guys who are like, yeah, you take the power and the recognition and I will take 10% off the top of everything that gets built in, the, in this county. Like those are the guys that take a helicopter everywhere, right? Because they're uh, they're wetting their beak all, in all these yeah. different places, right? And so anyway, I having been so now I'm starting to feel this like guys coming up to me and saying, "Hey, we're really glad that you're here, and I'm glad, I'm glad that we can count on your voice in this." And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa hold on!" Like I came to this because I am interested, but I haven't, you know, I haven't endorsed anything. It seems of, like such a bozo thing to say to somebody, in, unless you knew. I mean, like it's it's almost like you would just assume, like you're trying to find another. It's almost like they're trying to find another swinger, like just walking around going, "So you?" Uh, well, yeah, but then they lean in a little closer and they're like, "Yeah, well, your endorsement, uh, you know, your endorsement matters, and if we get it, then you have this. You are invited. You are invited 
to the to a more inner room. Yeah. And I go, oh, I want to be in that inner room. You're smarter than that, John, because what what there? It's well, just in the sense that you might be able to get a better deal. You never know. But also, it's like when you join the mob or a gang, and the first thing you got to do is kill somebody so they got something on you. Like they may able be able to offer you the idea, the prospect of something that sounds really good. And yeah, maybe that'll eventually pay off, but now you, you owe them. And that's the thing. And uh, so I, so I'm confronting the fact that I have, I'm very comfortable being in charge and I'm entering a world where I am not in charge and Mm. it's not a, it's not a corporate structure where the rules are clear and where you play by certain rules and there's a certain amount of intrigue, but there's also redress. Like this is a world where you are not in charge. The rules are obtuse and there is no redress of any kind. Like if you get, if you get, if you get 99% of the way into a deal and you get boxed out of it, Mm -hmm. you're like, you're going to sue them. No, because there's, because they they thought of that already first of all and second of all like there were aspects of the deal that that it's all happening on a on a handshake and there's no you know what are you going to say like oh hey i was in on that and then they kicked me out and they're like we never heard of this guy like what you know so that's like every so, every heist movie it, it it's absolutely every heist movie and it's how politics are played and in a way it's how it's how an aspect of it's an aspect of the way cities are run and so so I feel out of my depth. I really do. I'm in these, I'm in these situations. I'm looking around at these guys and I'm like, some of these guys are tougher than me. And it's not that it's not, I mean, they're tougher than me in the sense that if we went out into the parking lot, I would be, they, they, they do have pinky rings and those pinky rings are meant to cut you. <laughs> but, but also like they are tougher than me. Like they have, they have bodies buried all over the County and I'm, uh, I'm like a I'm fresh blood. I'm a new guy that's like sniffing around. Like, hey, I'd like to be involved in this local government. I'd sure like to make the world better for the for the citizens of my county, and I'd like to be engaged in the in the process. And these guys are like, yeah, man, come on in, have a you know, have a seat at the table. Mm. And and there's like there, there's the smell of blood is in the room. It's just like, oh, whoa. So, what's that make you want to do? Well, it makes me want to figure it out, <laughs> but but I reflect on my father's life as a as a politician and one that, um, and and I've watched I've watched young politicians that I know personally become middle aged politicians around here and watched their gaze get flintier and their smile get more. Um, that like the, uh, there's an element of rigor mortis that comes into their face, and it's like, oh wow, some something is hard about them. And then when you look at the national politicians, you really look at them. Those candid photographs you see every once in a while of like a U.S. senator that's been there for 25 years, mm-hmm. and you just see the like the death that's on them, and the 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 like the capacity for evil that's right behind their eyes 
and you go, fuck, like those guys, even the gentlest, even the friendly ones are terrifying wild animals. Like they've, like they've held the ring for too long. Yeah. Because yeah. you get that, what, Ted Kennedy, uh, Tip O'Neill, Dick Cheney, name anybody in the Democratic Party or really in politics has been around for a long time. And they get that, that, that flabby, too much cortisol stress thing plus yeah. the gin blossoms and it's just like oh that's that's the corpse you leave behind it looks like they've stress is what i see like their that their 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 body and their mind and their life has been stressed and then repeatedly stressed so many times stressed and, so that it becomes a kind of hardened steel like it just gets except for the flabbiness the tensile strength is oh yeah i i, I feel like uh even the even the gentle ones like like uh barney frank or M- maria cantwell like in those, you remember that picture of Ted Bundy that was taken in the courtroom where he made that yeah. ferocious screaming face, and he was do he had to be doing it with the knowledge that he was being photographed, and it's like this terrible moment where serial killers never really let their guard down that way, and he was performing this kind of what does evil look like on his face, but. It really is a it really is a terrible picture, mm-hmm. and and I see that I see that same kind of scream just on the placid faces of of CEOs and high ranking government people, where it's just like because these are the people that say like well ten thousand ten thousand soldiers are going to die during this invasion, but that's the price of establishing this beachhead mm-hmm. and you just go right i am i am not at the point where i could consign ten thousand people to die with the with, and feel confident that that was that that it was necessary and without that you can't you can't be in that room it's not that they won't invite you in that room but you are just food yeah i bet and, they can smell it uh, they absolutely do. And I think they smell it on me right now here in local politics. Like I am food and they don't know, they don't know how much food I am or how good I am, like how tasty I am. I bet part of being a politician is uh, being able to quickly size up what it is somebody wants, is likely to want, and what the minimum amount of it that you could speculatively give to them to bring them over to your side. Right. That's exactly right. Whether that's a stop sign or uh, you know, again, a change in millage, or right. or whatever it is that you could you could you could really size somebody up and then be very warm in how you warm appropriately warm <laughs> in the way that you uh, present it to them, so that they walk away feeling like they got the best deal in the world. Yeah, and I feel and, this, and they trust you, and they trust you. That's exactly right, and I think that when they look at me, their first the, the their perception is he doesn't want a concession of any kind. He's not trying to get a speed bump put in on his street. He's not trying to get his neighborhood school uh, to have uh, staggered opening terms or whatever. Like this guy is here because he wants to be a player and they, and those politicians have to have a different way of dealing with people who want to be players than dealing with the, with their constituents or or people who are coming trying to get a deal for their union, 
you know, and that, that is why I'm, that's why I'm nervous or that's why I'm afraid because Mm -hmm. I feel like showing up at these events, wanting to be a player is like showing up at a hobo campfire (laughs) and saying, Hey, what about us hobos? Right. Right guys. But just a bunch of hobos here. Like you're not a player. If you were a player, you would not be, you, you wouldn't be showing up here looking to be a player. You know, they'd be coming to you. But, but you know, here, uh, this is, I'm just thinking about this. I think most politicians want to win over every person that they meet, maybe compulsively. Agreed. Not, not, not to make friends, but because it's what they do for a living. In the Agreed. same way that somebody who is a, an evangelist for something they believe in, uh, whether that's Apple or L. Ron Hubbard, wants to constantly introduce people, or Ayn Rand wants to constantly introduce people to that. They really believe it's going to make things better, and it's going to get more people on their side. But that's, that's a condition of life for a politician, is that they need to minimize the number of people who get onto the other guy's side. Yep. And, and then the good nobody, ones are geniuses. And anyway. the hobo, the, the thing is, you never know when you're going to need that hobo. It sure would help to have that guy more in your camp than somebody else's. Yeah. Did I ever tell you the time I was sitting at a... I was sitting at a table with my dad and his friend, Judge Jack, Jack Tanner. And his, his frenemy, his, his, his best frenemy, his, Jack fr- Tanner. his frenemesis. And in the room walks San Francisco mayor, Willie Brown. And this is a dinner party. It's a dinner to celebrate the life and career of Jack Tanner. And Willie Brown, Willie Brown is at the time, the, the mayor of San Francisco and he has flown up to this dinner to pay his respects to, to the judge. And he, you know, he swooshes into the room and he, his, his $1,500 loafers aren't even across the threshold of the carpet before he is shaking people's hands and kissing people on the, kissing women on the cheek and slapping people on the back and he makes his way across this room, which is full of federal judges and like senators and government and big business people, you know, and he's walking across the room and he touches every single person in the room, making his way across the room to say hello to the judge. And, you know, this is another one of these moments where I'm just agog, like, wow. He really exudes charisma. Look at him. He's you can beautiful. tell. You can feel it when, when I, I've been in a room when Willie Brown walks in, and you can feel it. Oh, he's beautiful. And I'm and my dad is like, oh, holy shit! <laughs> and my dad's been watching politicians. You know, my dad worked for Kennedy, right? So my dad's just like, wow. And Tanner, with a like a smirk on his face, he goes, "Yeah, I'd look pretty good too in a seven thousand dollars suit." And. You know, my dad and I both look over at him, and he is just furious, furious. W- Willie Brown. How Willie Brown oh. is working his room. Okay. And but also like he's here to he's here like he's Tanner is furious but also proud because he's here he's here for him. He's a right? celebrity. Yeah. And but he touches every single he touch he touches two hundred people in this room walking across it. Because everybody wants to, you know, everybody's leaning forward to just put their hands on it. And uh, what would that, you know, what would that be like to live like that all the time and never be able to put your sunglasses down and never pull put a hoodie up and and um, 
run from the from the backstage door to the limo like he's he wants it he and this he's not even in california well willie brown's in he's in seattle or tacoma not even seattle he's in tacoma doing this and it's just like he's he he's going to shake he's going to shake hands all the way to the door of the white house you know it's astonishing it's astonishing to see it and then to search your own, like, this is what I guess I'm doing. I've, I've always seen that and said, yeah, that could be me. That's me. I'm just not doing that right now because I'm, I'm too cool and because I'm just, you know, like, I'm really, really into Radiohead right now. <laughs> but I could be the mayor of San Francisco. And what I'm experiencing now is my, uh, my thrift store loafers are over the threshold of the carpet. And I'm standing there like... And saying to myself, do I really want to go in this room with these people? Is this, I mean, is this the next thing for me? Do, or do I go to the library right now and, and, brush the, and brush the crumbs off of my Widewell corduroys and just, just sink into my easy chair? Make the occasional cheese dip. You know, like, yeah, have some people over, watch some episodic you television. You're, you're basically choosing between Willie Brown and Ignatius Riley. <laughs> That's right. Right, your, I, your loafers are, are on a precipice. I'm right up the middle because my thrift store loafers are actually very expensive loafers that I found. It's a very good deal. They have a patina already. Hmm. Uh, but but I'm but I am a I'm a 45 year old amateur in a in a in an arena where people have been have been sharpening their swords and battling with each other, real battles. All the all the years that I was like um, signing T-shirts, but is it part of it, the prospect of becoming a little Willie Brown is is appealing to you. If you could pull it off, am I hearing that correctly? Well, it is because because when I think when I when I get when I get back out of the ego realm and the vanity realm, and I think about what do I why am I here on Earth? Like when I think about why are human beings here on Earth? All I come to is like science, space travel, figure stuff out, send out probes, go to other planets, like make big signals, sweep the sky. You know, it's, it's that and a, and a combination of like, and do the best we can to, to colonize the earth in a way that, that is aesthetic and sustainable. And I don't mean sustainable with all of, with all of the hippie baggage, but like, duh, sustainable, right? Like, don't drown in your own shit. Uh, so colonize the planet and make it a make it a you know super train it, Gaia bomb it, make it as perfect a a, a thing as you can, make it as perfect a base as you can, and then probe the universe. And when I when I get out of my ego world personally i say what am i here to do if not to do that here to make my corner of this ball better and how to do that how to do that without having hundreds of millions of dollars of resources how to do that with the, with your primary resources being your personality, your intellect, and your industry. Like government 
is certainly one of a handful of viable ways to make a to make a profound difference. And so I'm drawn to it. I'm drawn to it. The 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 power aspect of it is my weakness, but it's also power that I uh, that I would hope to use to to Gaia bomb this this little you know the, the the little corner of it that I could affect. It 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 is the it is the altruistic um core of what I think life is why I think life has value or my life. So how how, how to do it without uh, having the ring destroy you? Yeah. And it's and and watching it watching it destroy people that I recognize are even stronger than I am. That's gonna be tough. It is gonna be That's tough. That's what that racket does. It is what it does. And yet you can look at people and say, wow, that person really made a difference. There wouldn't be there wouldn't be um I mean, there are so many things that were that were the product of someone's imagination and someone's industry and and dealing, you know, the dealing and the someone needs to stride ahead and say, follow me. And to whatever degree, um, to whatever degree, our, our, our contemporary idea of what democracy looks like is suspicious of the person that says, follow me. I believe in that model. You know, I believe that there are people that, I mean, I follow people all the time hmm. and I, and I think everybody wants to. Um, and I'd like to, you know, I was thinking the other day about this, the, about what it would take. It is not without, it is not outside of my capabilities to put together a team of people who develop a prototype of a refrigerator sized appliance that sits next to your refrigerator in in everyone's home and it is like a home super train and you just you feed your you feed your garbage into this box and it produces you know it refines it in your home and then that's you a have, whole different vertical, though, John. That's you'd have to really be wheeling and dealing. You got you're dealing with the utilities. You got the 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 mineral rights people. You certainly got that recycling racket. You got to deal with. I mean, that's a lot. If if you put that in front of the train, that's going to be you're going to talk about politics, my friend. Absolutely. Well, zoning, I'm watching. Zoning. I'm watching it happen now with the Uber car service here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Well, they got everybody scared. Everybody's scared, and and the taxi and limo commissions of Every major city in the United States of America, they're a very powerful lobby. Talk about being in the olive oil business. <laughs> Those are some tough guys. And they've been paying some usurious taxes. On insurance, the insurance is and really insurance high, too. crazy. And all those little medallions that they have to staple under the Well, they the got that whole their... system. Like, it's, what, 100 2000 bucks to get a medallion? It's like a yeah. liquor license lottery. Yeah. And now Uber comes along, and they're like, hey, we've got a good idea. What about if we everybody just did this from their smartphones? I can't believe they ever got away. Do you have the pink mustache cars there? Yeah. What the hell are those? It's a ride sharing. Oh, my God. I hate those things. I hate them, too. It, it, yeah. It's like Mary Kay cars or something. It feels if, like. if, if I was, I would not join that service because of those. But those little... What if they had a beard? No. <laughs> nope. Do not. 
do, 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 do not, not put fake facial hair on your car. Yeah, I mean, cars Chuck already <laughs> cars already are a little bit like we already kind of give them too much too much humanity. Do not start dressing them like they're little dogs. <laughs> but do you guys have good car to goes? I don't know. We definitely got uh, Uber. We've got Seattle the, the has ride this share. car to go system, which is like some company bought. 10,000 of those little smart cars painted them blue and white and parked them all over the city. Oh, like a Dutch bike situation? Yeah. And if you if you join this uh, car-to-go system, you're just walking along and you're like, I think I want to drive a car. So and it's even go- more informal than Zip. Yeah. You go on your phone and you're like, oh, there's one around the corner. You go over, you get in it, and you drive it somewhere and you get out and you leave it. And... That's so, that's so interesting. All the most revolutionary ideas, whether it's shooting people in tubes or having moving sidewalks, all are based on this idea that you have to change the infrastructure. It's mm-hmm. interesting that the most disruptive technologies are how to game the legal system, really, or you know what I mean, or the yeah. licensing system, however you want to think of it, as opposed to changing the infrastructure that, that you ride on. Yeah, right. I mean, nobody nobody is saying, like, let's let's build... Uh, maglev cars they're just like you can drive this car whenever you want and you just leave it and probably there and this is the the great thing about it it's like probably there will be another one when you want to get in a car later be great for robin banks oh it'd be amazing well i uh, jason finn and i were thinking one of these days we should just get like 80 people and we should all just drive all the car to goes out to the very edge of the county and like have a have a 15 passenger van that drives us all back into town and then does it again and does does it three or four times until there's like 150 of these cars all parked out in a, on a farm somewhere that'd be disturbing that would be hilarious but come on if you're gonna if you're gonna get 80 people together on a project why you're a busy politician you can't be fucking around in a car but i but i watched this uber situation and i'm like right i see the taxi and limo people and the city government struggling to to figure out I mean, and, and, and being violently opposed to this new, this interloper. But on the other hand, I watch my friends use Uber and it's like, oh, it's a genius uh, evolution of the concept. And every taxi in the country should be summonable by by cell phone. That's the obvious answer is to get, I mean, like at least where I live, the, I call Uber and pay twice as much because it'll come. It'll show yeah. up. And with taxis, the calling for a taxi around here doesn't mean a lot because if they get this, it's a central dispatch place. They have no skin in the game to yeah. actually show up. And whoever gets called out, if they find a fare along the way, it's way cheaper and more efficient for them to just grab that fare than drag their ass out to my neighborhood. Yeah. It's like calling for a taxi out your window. Yeah. Yeah. Taxi! I mean, but you know, if you if uh, if if they would just get their shit together with you know having an actual taxi, I would use taxis more. I don't like paying for a taxi, but I really hate paying for a taxi an hour and a half after it was supposed to be there. Yeah, that's the that's the difference. It's disruptive. Right now, I'm so I've been looking for a car for like I don't know eight years. Is that it? And here's <laughs> it seems here's like you're in a perpetual quest for a car. I am. Here's what I have open in tabs across the top of my computer. I have a 1987 four-wheel drive GMC Rally one-ton van. $6,700 in rent. Hmm. It's a four-wheel drive van. I have a 1967 Chevy Suburban. Price unlisted. Mm, market value. Has, 
The guy has an Alaska phone number. As quoted. And his, and his name is Shane. <laughs> I have a 1965. I, I can text more picture. <laughs> uh, exactly. I have a 1965 Plymouth Fury 3 four-door. Uh, and this is one uh, This is one where he spells or, the word original oregonal or oregonial. Oregonial. All I know is it's all oregonial. Won't be disappointed. Won't last long. Mm-hmm. What are you leaning toward? Well, I'm not done yet. A 1965 oh. Corvair four-door. Isn't that unsafe at any speed? <laughs> That's right, but but it appeals to me. This one has this one is like 48 years old or something. I mean, I I feel like I uh, I feel like it survived this long. Hmm. A Volvo, a 1967 Volvo Amazon wagon, 122s. And a 1980 Cadillac Brougham, red with a white vinyl top and white leather interior. Those are the cars that I'm that today I am considering. And honestly, oh wait, there's one more. 1967, 1967 Cadillac Fleetwood 60 Special, fifty five hundred dollars. Fifty five hundred. Yeah. Now, what? Which of these cars? Which of these cars should I should I zero in on? Uh, the 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 four wheel drive van is pretty sweet. All of those sound like they're going to be pretty terrible with gas. Well, yeah. Okay, as long as you're okay with that. But the the I'm van, gonna be, I'm going to be burning gas. I mean, I'm going to be putting gas in these things with a pail. <laughs> uh, the uh, the turbo creepiness of a, of a giant white van is is kind of appealing. Four wheel yeah, well, drive that'll be handy. Four wheel drive van. That's the absolutely one of the coolest zombie apocalypse cars I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, it has a, it has like a, like a welded steel roof rack. It's a real, I mean, you could put a 50 caliber machine gun on top of it. No problem. (laughs) But then that 65 Plymouth is like the kind of car that, that if, if, if there was an, an impact on the outskirts of town and, uh, and people had been people were kind of gathering around it and there were a couple of national guardsmen there and there was like a half buried glowing meteor and then a little door opened mm-hmm. on the top right about that moment four guys in black suits driving the 65 <laughs> Plymouth would drive up all wearing sunglasses and then uh, uh, no one there would remember anything having happened okay i got it talk to some of your rich political buddies you get a little bit of funding, you buy them all. Mm. You buy them all, and you're going to have a cool car service where you can have a cool car and, and pick it up around town. <laughs> Put a pink mustache on it, it's like cool car cool car around town? Yeah, Hitler mustache. A pink Hitler mustache. <laughs> Heil, Heil. <laughs> it's the taxi you can finally Heil. <laughs> <laughs>